Well, we are continuing through the book of Daniel. So you can turn to Daniel chapter 4 if you don't have a Bible. We always have paper ones at the, paperback ones at the back that you can have as a gift so you can follow along. I want you to be able to take notes, be able to go back and look at this. I hope you're reading through the book of Daniel these, these next couple of months so that you already know what I'm going to say before I get here. And then you can just rest while I'm preaching. It's awesome. Um, I've heard it said that one of the hardest things to see in ourself is pride. Uh, I've also heard it said that this is one of the things that as people, we despise the most in others. Pride is one of the hardest things to notice in ourselves and also one of the things we despise most in others, right? You see someone that's selfish, uh, arrogant, prideful, like we're just kind of averse to that. And yet we have trouble seeing that in our own lives. I think that's why when we look at Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, that's captivating, right? Like if there was ever a man that could have walked with some, some selfishness, some pride, some arrogance, it could have been Christ because he's God in the flesh. And yet we see these scriptures that teach us of his humility and servanthood towards really his enemy. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we've used this scripture a lot, but it's one of my favorite because it speaks to the humility of Jesus and also this call in you and I to lay ourselves down and put Christ as central in our life. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourself. What's the mind that you and I as believers are to have? It's what's been given to us in Christ Jesus. It's who he was. It's the spirit now living in us doing the same. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see the humility of God in Christ Dying for his enemy, serving his enemy so that we might have life. And upon his resurrection, God exalts him and says, you now have the name that is above every name. There will be a day that every human stands before you and they will kneel and they will confess you as Lord. There's this principle in scripture that speaks to this idea that God will always bring low the proud and exalt the humble. And we see that in Jesus, right? He is now supreme exaltation. There's this call for you and I to go, we are not the center of the universe. And for whatever reason, that's hard for us. We are not the center. You are the center of the universe. You are king, and we are following you. Uh, There's scriptures all throughout, man. If you just Google uh, scriptures about pride, there's so many. So obviously there's a root cause of a lot of sin in you and I because of our pride. But here's just two. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is what we're going to see in Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. Dude's about to have another dream. And God's going to do some radical things in his life so that God becomes central and Nebuchadnezzar is not anymore. It's going to be a great fall. Psalms 10, 4. Listen to this. This is important. In his pride, this psalm's speaking to the wickedness of a man or a wicked man. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Why? Because we're the center of the universe. We've got things figured out. We're self-sufficient. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. 
What we're gonna, there, there's principles in Daniel chapter 4 that we're going to take out, man. There's these things that we're going to see that pride is a thief of. And I want to give you the, kind of the five, six main things that pride is going to be a thief of in this story. One, pride is a thief of God's glory. Right? We've seen from the beginning in Daniel that this is this idea of God's kingdom, his name, his renown, and everything he's doing is sovereignly moving people to go, you are God, we are not, your fame, your renown over all the universe, over all the earth. And pride is a thief of God's glory in our life because we move him as central and we make ourselves central. Pride is a thief of worship. That's what that psalm said. There's no room for God in our thoughts of a, when we're prideful. It's a thief of worship. It's a thief of wisdom. Uh, I'm from Northeast Texas, and, and I've heard this said a lot. Uh, this is layman's term. Sin makes you really stupid. <laughs> it makes you really ignorant, and it makes you do really dumb things. Pride is a thief of wisdom. Pride is a thief of joy and abundant life that Jesus has provided for you and I. Pride is a thief of perfect purpose and impact. And pride is a thief of righteousness. These are the things we're going to see play out in Nebuchadnezzar. You know what's interesting to me? We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his like power and prestige, his, uh, his empire. And it's just taken in a moment by God. And then he restores it. We'll see that. I'm, spoiler alert. Uh, you just got chapter 4 if you hadn't read it. Um, but what's interesting to me is I think Nebuchadnezzar finally sees that this idea of the pride of life. Our kingdoms, our powers, our, our might, our skill, the things we build up, which all of us have, is really this, this facade. It's like a mist that it looks like we, we have things to be prideful of, but in the end, it's God. It makes me think, do I don't know if y'all's parents did this, mine did, because they were awesome. Um, when I was little, sometimes they let me sit in their lap and drive the car like in a parking lot, you know. So I'm five, driving our little, it was a... Astro van, super cool. Um, Y'all remember the Astro van? Uh, Driving the Astro van. Um, And man, what's funny is I'm not pressing the pedals. Uh, I'm not really even steering. Like I'll steer a little bit, but the whole time, like dad's got his hand here. And he's like, oh, God, hold on. You know, like never in control, but you get out of the van and you're like, mom, I drove. And I'm really good at it, right? Like (laughs) this is the idea. This is the facade that pride gives. Uh, I was not in control of the van. I'm not driving the van. My dad is. I'm not even pressing the pedals. And there's something in us that we have God as the center of all things, doing amazing things in and through our life. And there's part of us that goes, I'm pretty awesome at driving this thing. And what God desires is for us to use all of those good things for his glory. And that's what he's going to do in Nebuchadnezzar. And so with that being said, let's look at Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read all of it. It's a lot. I'm going to break it down as we go. So let's just strap in and get going. Daniel 4, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and the wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom And his domain endures from generation to generation. So a few things. There's some commentators that say this is Daniel writing on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. There's a lot that say, no, this is like he took some of the writings of Nebuchadnezzar, put it in here. I I would tend to lean on that one. I think Nebuchadnezzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar's writing, not Daniel. And here's what you need to know. This is the uh, kind of full circle. 
He's writing this after all these events have taken place. And there's something radical that has changed in Nebuchadnezzar, right? Like we've gone through these last chapters. We've gone through uh, the fiery furnace and the dreams and all the different things. And, and we've seen Nebuchadnezzar talk about uh, Daniel's God. He's like, man, he's kind of the king of kings. He, he's a god of the other gods. Like he, he's supreme of all the other gods. And language has changed here, right? This isn't plural anymore. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar says he's the most high god. There's no gods, it's just him. And he's done this for me, and I felt it was good to recount this story so that people would see this. Here's what I want to tell you. Pride is a thief of God's glory, right? It's a thief of God's glory. And so in Nebuchadnezzar's life, the opposite of pride is humility. And it's not this like, i got to muster up humility to worship God and to praise him and to live for him. This is how the gospel works. And Nebuchadnezzar has had some type of massively transformative inner encounter with the Lord, and his life is different. I'm going to go as far to say, I think Nebuchadnezzar has actually put his faith in the Lord. Some would say yes, some would say no. I don't really know. I just think, man, the language he's using, this isn't just like, this is something different for him. And it's the same way it works with Jesus, man. Like, like our worship of God our desire to want to bring him glory in our life doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be a struggle because when we encounter Jesus, it's transformative. I told my kids that. that we, the boys and I were on the, in the car the other day, and they're just talking about, man, how do we know that all this is real? And I'm going, man, one of the ways I think it's real is you look at these disciples who were just nobodies and scared and running from things, and then they die for Jesus? Like they, so they encountered the resurrected Christ and it changed their lives forever. And, and so I believe that's what's happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. Some, something happened and he encountered God's awe, awesomeness and wonder and he's a different man. And I believe that's what he's calling you and I to as well. And so we see instead of pride stealing worship, it, it's now this humility that's uh, bringing him to worship. And so he continues on in verse 4. Actually, I want to give you this quote because it's awesome. C.S. Lewis says this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It's from mere Christianity. And we're going to see at the end of this deal, Nebuchadnezzar literally uses these words, I looked up to heaven. Like all of a sudden his focus was not on him as central, but on God and it revolutionized how he worships, how he lives, and what's going on in his world. And so let's continue on. Verse 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the encanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in. And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, listen to this, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. So that, that plural language, but there's something different about Daniel. Something different about his God. And I told him the dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians. Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, 
that there's no mystery that is too difficult for you to tell me, the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. I told you, pride is a thief of wisdom. Here's what's interesting to me, right? You've got him kind of, Nebuchadnezzar's prospering at the height of his deal, has this dream. It's kind of stolen now some of that joy. His pride has brought an end to his abundant life, his joy in life. Um, And he comes to this place where he makes, to me, a really weird decision. Like he has seen Daniel do crazy stuff already. Like he knows this, this, this guy's God is different than the rest. But what's the first place that Nebuchadnezzar goes for wisdom and understanding? Everybody else. <laughs> He's like, bring in all the pagan worshipers, all the astrologers. I, I would like to hear from them before I hear from my chief mag- uh, magician. Right, he's given Daniel this title that you're over all these other people, but I don't want to really hear from you. Let's just bring in everybody else first. And I just stopped there and I thought, man, where's the wisdom in that? What has caused him to, to want to look at everybody else before he goes to Daniel? Why not go to the chief magician first? And here's what I wrote down. I wrote down a few things that I thought maybe this is what Nebuchadnezzar was feeling because I feel like there's moments where you and I feel the same things. Maybe there was a fear uh, of the change that's going to be required if he has to hear from a holy God. Right? He, we're going to look at this, this dream, and I'm, not, I'm no interpreter of dreams, but I'm like, if you're semi-smart, you can kind of tell this isn't going to go well for you unless you start worshiping God. I, I can't help but think Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He's already got a pretty good idea what's being asked of him, and he's going, man, I, I just don't want that. If I can bring in any other sound advice I'm going to follow that before I have to listen to God because that's convicting. That requires change, and and, and it doesn't even make sense. And so let's bring in everybody else. And, man, can I tell you, I think even within the church and within you and I that say, man, Christ is supreme, so often in in these junctures in our life, we look to worldly wisdom above godly wisdom first. There's something in us that's like wanting to draw in what makes sense in the kingdom of man. Well, what are some of the best minds and the best leaders? What would they do in this situation? What is Instagram telling me to do with my thoughts or these things? And it's amazing to me that in our pride of not wanting to listen to the Lord, our fear of what if he's not really out for my best, we lose wisdom. And we walk in just stupidity. And we look to the things of the earth to give us answers that only God can give us. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar's done. I think his pride is keeping him. He already knows, like, man, there's something different about Daniel's God. He's already kind of told me this kingdom's going to fall from me. And I know he's requiring something of me that I really don't want to have to give him. And so then Daniel gives the interpretation, or the, we hear the dream, verse 10. here's the dream. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heavens and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, this is an angel, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Verse 14, he proclaimed aloud and said thus, 
chop down the tree, lop off its branches, <clears throat> strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound it with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. And here's the purpose of all this. This is the end that God is doing through this angel's declaration. To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, I King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so we have this dream. Giant tree, all the earth can see it, and, and, and underneath it, it's like every beast of the field finds rest. The birds of the air find places to nest. It's feeding all flesh of the earth. It's beautiful. It's majestic. And then this angel comes, and he says, hey, we're going to chop this thing down at its root. We're going to band it so it doesn't die. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to begin to receive the dew of the earth, and the mind of this thing is going to be changed from a mind of a man to a beast until seven periods of time has elapsed and just... No one really knows what these seven periods are. Maybe it's seven days, weeks, months. The Bible talks about seven being a number of completion, right? So maybe it's just like once the fullness of what God is trying to do in Nebuchadnezzar passes, then, then it's going to kind of be restored to him. He's going, man, what does that mean? There's a specific purpose, right? The thief, or I'm sorry, pride is the thief of God's glory. What's the purpose that God is doing in him? That the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and he sets over it the lowliest of men. He's going, man, God is supremely ruling all things in his sovereignty. He sets up kingdoms. He takes down kingdoms. He, he brings low those that exalt themselves and he brings up those who are humble. And he's trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar, who has the greatest kingdom of the world, I'm still king of all this. And so then he asked Daniel his interpretation, starting in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretations for your enemies. Now, before we go any further, there, there's something pretty amazing that happens here. Uh, it, it says that Daniel pauses for a moment before he talks to Nebuchadnezzar, right? He knows what this dream means. God give him, kind of giving him the vision of what this is, is to be for this king. And, and I, I don't know all the things that are going in his mind. In my mind, I'm going, dude, if I tell you this, you may put me to death, <laughs> right? Like, uh, but I also believe years and years and years have taken place. I, I think there's something in this when he goes, man, let this be for your enemies, that, that Daniel's to a place of like care and concern for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, maybe he's come to like love him as a person and he's going, man, I, I want you to know my God and, and what's about to go down is not going to be good for you. And so there's this great pause in him and Nebuchadnezzar's like, look, man, whatever it is, just tell me. And what you see 
is Daniel being courageous to speak the truth in love. Can, can I tell you what, what pride does for us sometimes? It, it moves us to a place of fear um, to speak truth in love to those that we love. <laughs> and, and so what we do is we begin to go, well, what if this affects their relationship? What if this makes this awkward? What if, what if they view me differently? What if, they, what if they get mad at me, right? That, that pride of our relationship is greater than following after the Lord gets in the way, but not for Daniel. And what he does is speak some really hard truths because he really loves this dude. We live in a culture that has kind of put us in a place of such oversensitivity that everybody gets their feelings hurt if anybody disagrees with anybody. And it's kind of made its way into the church. There's something in us that even goes, man, that's not, you can't really do those things. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That makes me hateful. And man, I really believe that's from the enemy. Man, God has called up the church uh, not to be arrogant and, and not to be prideful and not to speak uh, with hate, but instead with a genuine love for the people around us to stand in truth when those moments come. And some of us fear that. Some of us, just the culture's taught us to fear that greatly. And what is desperately needed in lives, in your life, Look, if you're someone that gets super offended by people that love you, that are trying to help you walk with the Lord, I, I, I'm telling you, that's sinfulness. We need that. <laughs> but also, he's placed you around people that desperately need to know truth. And, and I know you have people that you love that you're going, I just see this and I disagree with it. And if I could just talk to you about what the Lord wants to do in you, and we're going, I don't know, then what's that going to do? And he's calling us to rise up to be bold people, to speak the truth in love. I think that's part of where we've lost our voice as the church. And so Daniel does that, and he tells him the interpretation. And here it is, verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and is visible to the end of the whole earth, uh, that uh, whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches and bir the birds of the heavens lived, it's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. You are the greatest king, world king, empire. It's all you. And because the, the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the, tenderness, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet, with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is decreed of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know, <laughs> what are we looking for? So you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Until you glorify God in all things. Verse 26, and it, is, and it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you what? Know that heaven rules, not you. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening 
of your prosperity. And so there's all these moments here, right? Daniel says, there's some hard things about to come. Like you're about to lose your mind and live like an animal. Well, what's amazing to me is, is what's being, uh, what God is about to do in Nebuchadnezzar is kind of take him from like this superhuman idea, like he is Superman, and, and almost make him subhuman. Right, it's like all these things that you thought you were given provision to, these beasts of the field and these birds, I'm about to make you lesser than them. And you're gonna realize I am the one who is king. I am the one who provides. We talked about this idea that pride is a thief of purpose and impact. You see it in here. What's part of the problem that Daniel says? You show no mercy. You don't help the poor. Like there's no one outside of your vision except yourself. But what I also find amazing is the grace and the mercy of God on full display in this moment. God's come. He sent Daniel. Daniel said, this is what's about to go down. He goes, but man, if you will stop living this way, if you'll, the, the, the word, right, repentance, if you will turn away from this and you will live for God, if you will exalt him as king, if you will live for his glory, and what that will do is begin to let you live in humility by serving the poor and being kind to others. He goes, maybe then he'll relent and your prosperity will continue. This is the, this is the story of the gospel, church. I mean, God is one of the most, like one of his attributes is patience, long-suffering, Right, his desire to see people come to him. And so he's kind with you and I. Right, there's always these moments. If, if you're a non-believer, uh, he, he has spent the entirety of your life being kind and slow to anger and patient, sending his son that you might come to him. If you're a Christian in the room and you find yourself running off away from the Lord, like he shows us this kindness and this mercy. He goes, I want you to come to me. And even to this pagan king, he's going, I'm going to show you kindness and mercy. There's the ability to come and not, not have to go through all this stuff. This is the beauty of God on, on display. And so we pick up, Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So a year has passed since Daniel sat with him. A year. He's going, dude, you gotta, you've got to turn to the Lord. It's about to go down. A year has passed. Nothing's happened. Right? The, the, I, I can't help but think Nebuchadnezzar's like, all that stuff Daniel said, nothing's happened. Look, my kingdom is still flourishing. Look what it says. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is is not this great Babylon, look at his words, which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Look at what I've done with my hands and look how it shows my glory. There is something intrinsically in, in us that as we do things with our life, as we use our skills and our resources, that we can't help but go look at what I have done. And, and I really want other people to see that and know that about me. He says, look at my kingdom, look at my glory. Verse 31, while the words were still in King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox 
and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. I think about this moment, right? Just, I'm going to tell you these are not pronounced correctly. There's something called bonethropy and lycanthropy. These are psychological terms that people think that they're a cow or a bull or an animal and act like it. Uh, I thought that was just interesting that that exists, <laughs> uh, that people even today struggle from this mental disorder. And, and so I'm going, man, maybe, maybe this is the, what happened in him. Maybe this isn't just like all um, figurative, right? Like maybe the dude had a mental collapse, really thought I'm an animal, and God put him in a place of humility and he lived outside and ate grass like an animal until the right time passed. And so all of these things happen. And God's trying to do something in his grace and his kindness to point Nebuchadnezzar to his glory. So that he can truly worship. So that he can truly have purpose. Here's what's interesting to me. Hebrews, Hebrews uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 12 says this. But do not, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you and I be? Live in holiness and godliness, waiting for, for and hastening the coming day of God. Dude's on the top of his roof, a year's gone by. And I just wonder, like, how many times did, do you think he went back and thought about what Daniel said? Uh, you know, in the beginning, it had to be like, man, if this is really coming, I, maybe, I need to, maybe I need to respond. <laughs> uh, we talked about... Pride is a thief of righteousness. Maybe, maybe I need to heed what Daniel has said and respond in an appropriate way. And then eventually it's just like, dude, he's not doing anything. God's not showing up. It's been a year. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Uh, there's a story um, of John Elias. He's a Welsh uh, evangelist and, and preacher in the 17 and 1800s. And he tells a story um, about visiting a blacksmith in his community. And... Um, he was trying to, uh, trying to share the gospel with this blacksmith. And so he'd show up kind of periodically, just have conversations about the Lord. And he said that the, one, uh, eventually he showed up at this dude's shop and the, uh, the blacksmith had just gotten this new puppy. And he was like, man, I'm trying to have this conversation with this guy. Every time he hits the anvil, this dog is just going crazy by the sound of the anvil, barking, going nuts. And he's like, it just kind of persisted. But as I kept coming back to talk to this guy, eventually the dog was like kind of less and less as the anvil and the hammer would strike. And he said, one day I showed up and literally the guy's pounding away on the anvil and the dog is asleep by the fire, doesn't even notice that the, the pounding's going on anymore. And he said, man, it's like the Lord revealed to me, this is what it looks like to not heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's like in the beginning, right? It's like this hammer pounding the anvil and we feel the Lord going, man, I, I wanna do something in you. I, I'm trying to move you to a place to follow me, to love me, to glorify me, to walk an abundant life. And we go, I know there's this need in me to do this, but the longer that we, we kind of resist that, the harder our heart becomes. And Hebrews talks about a lot, this idea of don't, don't harden your heart 
to the things of the Lord. Until eventually we, we don't hear anything that God's asked us to do. You know, I, I thought about this moment. And I just thought, man, when is, when is the last thing you can think of that God said, hey, I, I want to do this in you. And you were just like, said no to that. And you felt it. Maybe it was a friend that, that sat with you and said, hey, I want to see you doing this. Like, there's more for you. Maybe it was in a, uh, a sermon. It was like, oh, I know God's calling me to do this in my family or my life or whatever. And you kind of felt that. And then it just kind of dissipated. I just wonder for you and I, are there not places that we could go back to and go, God, what are the things you've already asked of me that I just haven't walked in? Because I know you're trying to do something good in me. I know you're trying to bring glory to your name through my life. I know you're trying to let me walk with purpose and impact. And I want to follow you, King Jesus. But pride gets in the way. <laughs> man, I think we harden our heart, especially if somebody, right? We talked about Daniel coming and being like, look, man, I'm going to tell you some things that are going to be hard. And he's like, come with it. Like, that, to me, that's one of the, the hardest things to struggle with. Especially if it's like my wife. She's like, hey, you know, that's not very godly. I'm like, don't ever talk to me again, right? <laughs> like, there's something in our pride that's like, man, I, I, I do not want to receive what I'm not doing well. And yet, it, it really is birthed out of a, a not understanding our identity in Jesus. Not understanding what God is trying to do in and through other people that love you in our lives. Man, if we can understand that our, 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 our value rests in what Jesus has called us and made us then we can come with our weaknesses and our failures and go I don't have to stand pridefully against these things I can begin to, to lean into these things for the glory of God this story is not to be one that's supposed to make you scared of the discipline of God the story is to show us man there is a God who is holy and righteous and when we get before him we begin to worship him and walk in genuine humility and so he says 12, 12 months Nothing happened. I love what Sinclair Ferguson said. He said, the one who refused to honor God's glory loses his own glory. Refusing to share what he has with the poor, he becomes poorer than the poor. He becomes outwardly what his heart was, spiritually, inwardly. And so then we get to the end of the seven days. Let's see what happens. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes up to heaven Right, we talked about that C.S. Lewis quote. Here's the moment. I think this is his salvation moment. I think this is the moment he looks up and he goes, you are God, you are king, I am not. And what happens? And my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. This is the language of someone that's been transformed by an encounter with the Lord. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's going, man, I'm nothing in the presence of God. I, I, we, we don't stand before God and go, why are you doing the things the way you're doing it? He's going, man, you are above all things. You will last for all eternity. Everything of the earth is yours. It is yours and I will follow you. Verse 36, and at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. I, I find that amazing. God's kind of restored him now. He's got a greater kingdom than he had before, but look how he responds. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Right? This humility has brought worship. This humility has gotten him out of the way, put God as central, his glory on full display. What he knows now is that everything he has is actually the Lord's. You know, one of the most like frustrating things as a parent is when my kids say, this is mine. That just irks me. I don't know. This is mine. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, I'm going to take that from you. This is mine. You can't have this. I'm like, just watch, you know. <laughs> or when they're like trying to borrow, this is mine. Don't touch this. And I, my kids are starting to get a little older. They're not like infants. And I have these conversations with my kids. I'm like, where's the house you live in that you put that stuff in? Who's paying for that? Who's going to take this care of this when you neglect it? Who's going to replace that when you broke? Who, who, who paid for that thing to start with? Like everything in this house is mine, not yours. This is mine. <laughs> and you're borrowing it. And man, is this not what King Nebuchadnezzar understands now? This glory of his kingdom is not his. It's the Lord's. And look, man, every single one of us in this room have little kingdoms. You've got a little kingdom you've built up. And I'm, I'm saying enjoy that what the Lord has given you. Enjoy the prosperity that he's given you. Enjoy the giftings. Use those things. But he's done that, and in the end, it's all his. Our, our, our skills are his. Our houses, they're his. Our bank accounts, they're his. Our time, it's his. And we can pretend to drive the Astro van, but, man, God's in control. And what he wants to do in you and I is take those things and give them greater purpose than if we were in charge of them, if they were just for us. He has greater purpose for the things he's doing in your life than just you enjoying those things yourself. He wants to do things that will impact the kingdom and the world for his glory forever. And bonus, we get to enjoy it as it's happening. That's how good God is. And he's done that in Nebuchadnezzar. He's going, man, my kingdom flourished even greater than it was. So I praise God and extol him. And I, I'm living for his glory. And we finish up and he says this. For all his works are right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Here's how I want to finish. And pride is a thief of God's glory. Pride is a thief of joy and abundant life. Pride is a thief of righteousness. It's a thief of purpose and impact. It's a thief of worship. And I want you to listen to what John Piper says as we close. He says, Jesus came into the world to convert people from God-like dependence on self to childlike dependence on God. And then he died to pay the penalty for our pride and to show us the way to humility and send all our boasting towards God and not towards ourselves. Let's pray. And so Jesus, we thank you that you are the shining example of humility. That not only have you given us the ability now to, to shift our hope and our dependence on self to you, but Jesus, then you, you died to pay the penalty of some of our deepest sin. And so you've given us a reason to rejoice. And God, I, I, I just pray for my own heart, for the hearts of each person in this room, that we would be a people that just realize we're not driving anything. That we would enjoy the good gifts that you've given us. But as you allow our lives to flourish, 
that we'd go, man, this is, this is yours, it's not mine. And we would look for ways to bring you glory. We would look for ways to worship you. We would look for ways to live righteously and care for those around us. And so God, I know that each of us are gonna go through moments where you need to humble us. And, and I thank you for your kindness to do that. I thank you that you don't leave us as a people that depend on ourselves, but you'll begin to put us in places that we see who you are and who we really are. And it causes us to deeper dependence, deeper love, deeper worship. So God, this morning, we, we just wanna spend time turning from our own glory, our own self-reliance, our own pride, and turning towards you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.